I'm sorry, we have an intruder on today's recording, and she's being loud. We're on the can. Rachel, please be professional. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Given the Platform, the show where we give unsung people the chance to flaunt their extraordinary passions and knowledge. Do you have something that you want to talk about? Contact me at giventhe-platform at gmail.com. As always, I ask that you please download this podcast on your preferred podcasting platform, maybe more than one platform if you're feeling generous. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us five stars. I'm still trying to build my audience and anything you could do to help is greatly appreciated and I thank you very much in advance. On that note, happy Halloween, everyone. Today I have on Penelope Merzensky to talk about Twilight. I thought it was fitting with monsters and love and romance. Truly, I wasn't expecting to ever talk about something like this, but Penelope is so prolific and funny and amazing to talk to. I can't wait for you to meet her through this podcast, because she's such a joy. So, enjoy! (laughs) Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. She is astounding. She is incredible. Show-stopping. She can talk about anything, and I just listen which is why she is giving her time today. It is Penelope Merzensky. How are you doing today, Penelope? I'm great, Harrison. Thank you for having me. We are here today on a very special, spooky, ooky, kooky episode. One of my favorite topics in the whole wide world. It's Twilight. I am so... (laughs) I... You could not have told me that I would have gotten to a point where I would have recorded an episode on Twilight. Now, I've done my research, which is I've had to watch 10 hours of Twilight films as of yesterday morning at 1 o'clock. Yes. 1 a.m. But I do not have any knowledge on the books. Can you talk us through your knowledge of the books and how you know the franchise? Yes, so I have been a stan of Twilight since about 2007. Um, For context, I'm a child of divorce, and during the two-hour car ride with my dad, he would put on audiobooks. And as a 50-year-old man, he would just get whatever the best-selling YA novel was. So I think I listened to the Twilight audiobook by Stephanie Meyer, read by Ileana Kaduchin, in like 2007 that is your father in the car so that was my first taste of the franchise i think it was before the first movie came out which was 2008 famously so i have been in it to win it since it kind of entered the cultural sphere that it is now so i this summer have read all of them again Including Midnight Sun. Is that the gender reversed one? That's life and death is what you're thinking of. So (laughs) the Twilight franchise spans from Twilight, Mm. the first book, famously. New Moon, famously. Eclipse. There was a companion short story called The Short Second Life of Brie Tanner that was a companion to Eclipse. There was Midnight Sun. There was the Twilight manga where they kind of made it sexy and in a comic book. There was Life and Death, which I haven't read because it is just Twilight with the names changed. It is Twilight and she said, Control F, Bella. Change it to Buford, baby. <laughs> Edward? Her name's Edith now. I, th- I think it's Edith. Twilight stands. Hit me. I haven't read it yet. And Midnight Sun, which is Twilight from Edward's perspective, came out in the beginning of August. I listened to Twilight to go to bed. I am listening to it for the fourth time this summer, which is why I have no brain cells left. Um, <laughs> last week, I watched four of the five movies in an 18-hour time span. So I love Twilight, and I have loved it since 2008. But it seems like you like it for being bad. That's not true. Okay, okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's, there's an issue with people visiting it as 20-year-olds in 2020, but I, it, it just lives in such a pure place in my heart. It's just a Mormon fantasy. Stephanie Meyer is a Brigham Young University Mormon, and that is so clear in the books. 
And going back and reading them again, there there is nothing scandalous in terms of like uh, it being a blue franchise. It is not sexy. The kisses are pretty hot and heavy because they do not have sex before marriage, famously. I know. Let's save the Mormon talk yes, for yeah, later. Yeah. I want to start with the with the basics. First of all, Team Edward or Team Jacob, and I want to know why. Team Edward, and you're not going to like this answer because I have daddy issues and issues with men. So Edward is right up my alley. Okay. Let me interject and say that I am team neither. I was team Jacob when Jacob was normal and treated her like a normal person. But then there's that kiss. Then he became a werewolf and immediately became a very toxic man. I don't know why they had to make him worse for him to be more likable, but I guess I'm not in her head. Second question, which one's your favorite movie and or book? And is it different between movie and book? They got rid of a lot of the Mormonism, so they kind of made it steamier. I still didn't get steamy from the movies. It's steamier than the book. Okay. And Robert Pattinson is so hot, so everything he does is like automatically steamy. Three, four, and five are pretty much tied for me, but if I had a gun to my head, I think I would say that Eclipse is my favorite part of the franchise. For movie and book? I believe so. Okay. Because Breaking Dawn, the book, is broken up into three sections. So it's Bella. It's from Bella's perspective, famously. She's our heroine. Until she gets pregnant on the honeymoon. Then it's Jacob. The worst part of the book, the worst part of the franchise, sorry, Team Jacob, is that third of Breaking Dawn where he's so angsty. And then it goes back after the delivery back to Bella, post-vampire. I would like to, on the note of Team Jacob or Team Edward, I would like to talk about how toxic they both are. Now, I have a collection, uh, just a small collection of notes, just like three or four bullet points of particularly toxic moments in the franchise. And I would like to see if, one, you know what I'm talking about, and two... What you think about them, and can you refute them? Yeah, I'm the biggest Twilight defender that I know, so don't worry. I probably have defense in my back pocket. Great. So, let's start with the first one. And I didn't realize, like, that I should be taking note of this until it, like, it really smacks you in the face starting book two. So, he leaves her, Edward, famously, in book two, New Moon. And every time she's about to do something, basically on her own volition... And with her own freedom, he becomes a ghost, an appar- an apparition. That is a hallucination. No, I can't. I, I believe. It is a hallucination. With all the magical aspects of the story. Also, whether it's a hallucination or not, the film writer still chose to keep it in. And it just seems like he is controlling her, even though he was the one who let her go. So here's the thing about that. So we know... That he leaves her to protect her and genuinely believes when he comes back from Italy, genuinely believes that she would be able to move on. But they're soulmates. It's a romance. So karmically, they belong together. We know that. That's like romance 101 is they meet their soulmates, trials and tribulations, try to keep them apart, but it can't. But what do they have in common? I think they go into that a little bit more in Midnight Sun and kind of retcon that. I don't know if it's in Twilight, but in Midnight Sun, they have like multiple days where they just talk. Like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite music? And they're both well read. <laughs> they they don't have they don't have great chemistry. Okay, fine, sure. Edward and Bella, they're both kind Thank of bland. Thank you for admitting that. But that's not the point, okay? This isn't Team Bella. No one's Team Bella. Team Bella is non-existent. But... I'd say I'm Team Bella. I'm Team Find a Normal Man without problems, without toxic okay. issues. Um, but I'm yeah, Team she... whatever that weird blonde guy was in the first movie. Mike Newton. Yes. I'm Team Mike Newton because he seemed like a weirdo, but he seemed like an earnest kid who wouldn't have married her at 18. 
put her through hell and almost made her die from a magical vampire date uh, baby no spoilers sorry your team Mike Newton even though he says hey Arizona how you liken Doreen girl and shakes an umbrella over her head okay next toxic point if you're gonna so I'm going I'm that... gonna round out <laughs> I'm gonna round out your first one by saying that she's hallucinating because that is not one of his special abilities you can check the Twilight lexicon the definitive guide on twilight lore and you will see that he cannot make himself an apparition and kind of astral project from rio to forks and she he explicitly asked her to not do anything reckless so she's hallucinating to compensate for her loss so that's my that's my rebuttal okay it's a twilight it's it's a book from 2005 like it is not the peak of literary success i will yes okay we agree on that point and also i'm not saying the first book the first movie utter garbage it's the worst hot garbage second movie was good only because the first was so bad and set the bar so low and i found myself getting actually invested in these characters was this because I spent 10 hours only looking at a screen with these characters on it? The world may never know, but... It's a delicious franchise to lose yourself in, isn't it? It got good, and I think there was a director change, right? From the first to the second film? Every movie had a different director. Oh. Only four and five had the same director. Can I talk about why one is the worst one? Why it's the worst adaptation of the books? Let's... Actually, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So Catherine Hardwick, first of all, it had the, the weirdest aesthetic, like the weird color grading where everything was so dark. I would have ran for the hills if all five films were that like blue gray hue. Like it looked terrible. And it, that's so unsustainable for what are blockbuster movies. Like YA novels are not meant to be like indie darling films they're all over two hours long that's why it's a over 10 hour franchise and i firmly believe that the second through fifth films are better because it embraces the fantasy more i agree um because one a big way in which the book and the movie differ so you remember Mm -hmm. it's the first twilight film and there's like this weird subplot of like the vampires killing people in forks and they have to like find the the bears or like the wolves that are killing these people the three evil vampires mm-hmm. that doesn't exist in the book the book is like purely like a fantasy romance and then the vampires just show up and that's like the last third like that's like act 3 of the book so it the movie turned into like a weird who done it and it's too much romance and like not enough fantasy. But you also know you also knew who done it. Like very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very exciting to watch like country bumpkin sheriff try to like fight vampires. It is truly a who done it, but the director was like what if we made the only characters elusive to this idea, not the audience, but the sh- characters in the movie which don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I think the first one is the weakest adaptation. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And I would have, I don't think Catherine Hardwick could have handled like the werewolves or like the big battle scenes because I just don't, I looked at her IMDb and she's very these like psychological films. Mm -hmm. So, or like teen drama. I think she did like Lords of Dogtown maybe. So I think, I think that's her wheelhouse, but I don't think her style isn't sustainable. It's not a blockbuster. Like everyone knew this was going to be a blockbuster. Like it there were movies from 2008 to 2012 every year for five years twilight came out yeah that's, i mean there was that's a huge, crazy stamina there's a huge cult following behind the book i remember i watched the first movie when i was like eight because my sister sat us all down in our like living room and was like you're all gonna watch this because i'm obsessed with this in fourth grade i cut my hair like alice cullen she has a good haircut, though. In fourth grade, I cut my hair like Alice Cullen. I got the choker from Target. I was going to bring in a picture, but first day of fourth grade, I had a messenger bag with the Twilight poster printed on it. I had at Team Edward band-aids. I had Team Edward hoodies, shirts, like everything. I remember um, 
I sat in the sun before Eclipse came out and I cut out Team Edward in paper and tanned it onto I tanned it onto my skin. Oh my god. As an indelible mark of my commitment to the franchise. That's commitment. So now let's move on to my next note that I put in my phone. The quote is Edward says, I don't know if you remember this. I will. It's called compromise, Bella. And she says, no, it's called coercion. She is this at the beginning? That it is a toxic. Is this the beginning of Eclipse when uh, he takes a part out of her car when she's trying to go to La Push? Yes. Got it. She gets in the car and it won't start and then he jumps in. Yes. Okay, I think I think we're on the same page. I think that's a joke. But he took the part out of her car. So it's not great, but we also live in a fantasy world where she's in mortal danger constantly. Um, and I don't know if it's on your list, but he also watches her sleep throughout the first film. Yes, it's and not we, on my list. We but get a little insight um, into that in Midnight Sun. So basically, this is a romance novel, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that in romance novels, there's like this karmic energy where no matter what happens, everyone ends up where they're supposed to end up. No one dies in this franchise. Like there is not loss. It is just love. So I will say in reference to that, spoiler alert, that final scene. Which is not in the book. Oh, but that was such a great choice. I I remember seeing that and everyone in the theater was like fuck this what i thought it was a great choice i thought that the people dying like i didn't know the twist but like people were dying and at first it was people that you were okay with dying because you were committed to them but not too and committed then carlisle to them. dies and then carlisle di- well carlisle is the one who i was like that's a good choice because i like him but it's not soul crushing it wasn't like alice but then like um what's the name of the young werewolf what's his name Seth. Seth. Then Seth dies. And then you're like, oh, no. And then, like, everyone starts dying. That's like, it becomes actually bad. And when it all, like, just became a vision, I was, that shocked me. I don't know why people wouldn't have liked that. I mean, it was 2012. It was a simpler time. Maybe they were just committed to the book. But coming from someone who had no attachment to the book, that was a great choice. Yeah. Rewatching it, it is a really strong decision. So yeah, I I defend that. It's not is it great? No, it's not great. But he's so committed to her protection and we know, we learn from Midnight Sun the extent of the treaty between the Quileutes and the Cullens. And we know that if something were to happen cuz Eclipse, there's like all these people that are after her and we're hot off New Moon. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's ultimately for her own good is it great no but does it have to be great is anyone saying that this is like a perfect relationship it's a very boring relationship they don't talk about interests or anything (laughs) they barely have any chemistry together i found myself liking a lot of the action in the story in the movies over the romance yeah like that's what drew me in hmm and that's usually, and that, just, and then I just thought, oh wow, it's just the trauma bond that I love. Yeah. Because that's the only part that brings interesting aspects as a, as an audience member. It's inexplicable, but we learn in Midnight Sun. So you're familiar with imprinting, how werewolves imprint. Oh, that was a scene. <laughs> that was a scene. We're familiar with how they imprint. He kind of has the same draw to her as imprinting Mm -hmm. since that first biology class where he at the same time is like oh she smells so gd delicious i want to drink her but he also is like but i feel like the maternal need to protect her so it's kind of in this universe those bonds exist like that is lore so if it's protecting her from going into like in a potentially unsafe territory, he he messes with her truck. I also can't get over how average she looks and how she managed to grab the attention of Robert Pattinson. Of both sexy vampire family and 
sexy werewolf family. Yeah, she's the most boring person in the world. She looks boring, average. Average looking. No offense. No offense to um Kristen Stewart. I would just like to say she is average, at least in this film. She has grown to become she wears the ugliest clothes ugliest well that's a product of the time she wears no that's a product of the book there is a really (laughs) iconic there's a really iconic scene in the book um the first book it's right before she goes to meet the family and iliana kaduchin is like narrating this i can hear her voice in my head but she puts on this like knee-length khaki skirt and like a button-up blue blouse and she puts her hair in a ponytail and she like flounces down the stairs like a girl going to prom and edward like pins her against the wall and is like you look so hot and it's like honey no no you don't the khaki skirt is like a feature it's like a an extra character in the book oh my god okay so this is a divergence we're gonna go to oh can i I say can i say one more thing about bella Mm -hmm. she also they cut it from the movie a little bit but she has a lot of internalized misogyny Mm -hmm. in the book where she like hates all the girls in forks and she's not like other girls i get that vibe so bella has more personality in the book but it's not a good personality it's it's quite a mean one where she's always negging all the people who want to be her friend and is constantly really rude and mean in her internal monologue but then doesn't do anything like externally with other people so they had to cut that because she has to be a really like character for this blockbuster saga but then when you cut her being like a C word. She becomes a cardboard box. <laughs> she She's what Kristen Stewart had to die on the cross performing. She, Kristen Stewart, it's, I can't, well, this is not a visual podcast, but I wish I could just imitate for you guys. And maybe if you've seen the franchise, I hope you do if you're watching this, or I hope you have, just the faces, the hand, like the hair sweeps behind the ear. It is, especially in the first movie, it is hard to watch. I watched it with my friend, and we were groaning by how miserable the acting was. I think she learned how to dial that back. But Robert Pattinson is giving it his all from but day his, one. He had, he had the weirdest accent. I'm so sorry. I don't know what he was, what accent he had. You can know. tell when it's been a long filming day for him, because he delivers lines like, Yeah! Like that one time, he's, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. On that note, we I will I will give equal hate to Jacob. Let me just say, I'm not a hater of the Twilight franchise. It's not the franchise is not bad. The first movie, I will say, I am a hater of the first movie. Um, I will say I was drawn in. I was surprised that I was drawn in on the second on the other movies. So, like. When I am doing this, it is for devil's advocacy only. I am just trying to prove a counterpoint because I'm next to a super fan and I want to provide contrasting points to make this a dynamic experience for all my viewers. All my viewer. <laughs> um, so I will move on to Jacob. Great. Can, Jacob- I, can I intersect yes. a really dark part of Twilight history? Yes. So Taylor Lautner was like 16 or 17 when the first movie was filmed. Hmm. And everyone else was like 20 to 22. He was so over-sexualized as a literal 16-year-old that he stopped acting. Like, that's crazy. He He did a movie that was kind of like a Taken knockoff. And then he did a BBC show. But then ever since then, his IMDb is really thin because he, he would go on talk shows and they'd be like, yeah, but you're so sexy. And he'd be like, I'm actually 17. And, that, and an actor and not and an a actor. model. So yeah. stop talking about that. Yeah. So I just I think that's important. Like we all laugh at Team Edward, Team Jacob, but Team Jacob took like a really dark turn. Mm. Sorry, Team Jacob. I love the moral superiority. She went, hold on. Can you hear me better from the... Can Can you still hear me through the mic on this podium I just put myself on? <laughs> okay. So Team Jacob, 
he he says he is quoted saying and i believe this is a new moon too he said you feel something for me you just won't admit it and that ended up being true so i guess i could put my foot in my mouth there but at the same time imagine some guy thinking that he could just say that to a girl in real life because that happened yeah i i don't defend any of Jacob's actions. I was going to say, you only defend Team Edward. But, I mean, they are really flirty, and she spends all her time with him. So I guess it's valid for him to be like, there is something here. But if she said there isn't, why is this man not respecting it? And also... He famously is very disrespectful of women in the franchise. But in the book, before he turned into a werewolf, he was the sweetest. Like, why is why are they using mystical powers and transformations as an excuse to just become a toxic person? I wish I could tell you. And now I will say this is my final part. And I don't this is not a statement on um, <laughs> this isn't a statement on any of them being toxic. But I will say that there was a cut in the film that particularly jarred me, which is when they were talking about imprinting for the first time and they were carrying bikes and i don't know if you know this cut but they're carrying bikes into the shed but they're still like a good 50 yards from the shed and he's like i just can't he was like i don't know where to start and then it cuts to them in the shed and then the convo picks back up with no break but there's clearly like two minutes of walking into the shed where they had to have been silent. I've never caught that before. For there to be a pickup, for there to be a cut that makes so much sense within the conversation. And it is particularly drawing to me. And I would like um, my money back, my Hulu subscription back for that one cut. Okay. I would like to talk about the Mormon values mm-hmm. within this. Great. Now, you had pointed it out before I watched the films, so I was keeping an eye out for it, but I don't know any background on it. So if you can enlighten me as to what you know about the Mormon influence on this mystical, magical, anti-sex, sex fantasy. So that's an interesting question. I don't claim to be an expert on Mormonism. Um, I'm just... As an expert on the Mormonism within the franchise, not as in Mormonism (laughs) as a group. Yeah, so they definitely skimmed a little bit off the top in the film just to make everything a little bit more interesting. But there's no drinking in the book. Yes. No one drinks. No one drinks. Charlie's drinking that, like, beer. But he's an adult. Throughout the film, but he's an adult. Um, But even in the books, no drinking, no smoking cigarettes to look cool. Bella also takes on the role of, like, housewife to Charlie in the book. And there's a lot of chapters dedicated to her making dinner. Like, she's always really stressed about feeding her dad and, like, cleaning the house. So whenever she has a Saturday free, it's like, I got up, I put on my khaki skirt, and I cleaned the bathroom. Oh, my God. (laughs) Or, like, one day she goes out at night and there's, like, a whole section, like, many sentences dedicated to her, like, preparing sandwiches for her dad then leaving a note pointing him to where the sandwiches are in the refrigerator and like reminding him that she made dinner even though he's an adult who lived by himself for the past 17 years which he points out in the book and in the film and are they mormon in the book they're not right they're not and no one goes to church and i think it's going back and revisiting it for the first time since my senior year so it's been about four years since i really like dedicated like whole hours of my day to thinking about twilight and like engaging with twilight actively it's the first time i noticed that it does have like some christian lifestyle choices like more overt than because you can't really separate stephanie meyer from her work like she's a brigham young university you cannot okay you cannot you cannot separate an author from their work in my opinion yeah and this is more of a diatribe on all the drama surrounding the Harry Potter stuff. You can choose to attach on your nostalgia for Harry Potter just the same way you can attach on your nostalgia for Twilight. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I just can't sever that. If you could sever that connection. And even if it's just for context, like if you look at like, you have to look at where the author is coming from to fully understand the work. So as a young, as a younger fan, I didn't think to like read Stephanie Meyer's Wikipedia for context you know like i just like read the book yes 
but seeing that she is a Mormon, went to Brigham Young, got her English degree from Brigham Young, that's important. Like, that's important context. And she's she got an English degree? From Brigham Young, yeah. Oh, my God. And she's talked about it a little bit, I think, but it's not very pushy. And I think that's what that's what makes it so wholesome is that it never got pushy about, like, premarital sex or, like, you know, whatever. It was always very respectful of, like, this is how Bella chooses to live her life. Yes. According to these, like, pure lifestyle choices. And it's very much not an issue of debate in the movie. Everyone, yeah. Like, everyone's fine with it. Everyone kind of lives this, like, stand-up moral life. Everyone has a moral code. They talk about sin and, like, <laughs> retribution for a sinner's soul come... E- uh, it starts a new moon. It continues through eclipse, but, like... Edward is afraid to sully her soul and, like, send her to hell. Yes. And that's just something that, like, everyone... That's part of the fantasy is, like, do vampires have souls? Is there hell? (laughs) And do you go to hell for having sex before marriage? And even... And there's a little bit of that moral ambiguity when Bella's like, please, I'm so horny. You have to have sex with me. And he's like, marry me first. That's a compromise that they make because he is more concerned. Like, he's a little bit more religious, or spiritual or whatever than her because she of all her like mormon christian whatever values that is not higher on her list like she's horny and she wants to bone but it's never it's never pushy it's never like if you are not taking care of your dad you're a bad person like there's no ambiguity there it's just like that's her life and that's how she chooses to lead it yeah, I see that. I also think that there's a good I will say that although the abortion plotline was pro-choice in the sense that she wanted to keep it, it was kind of interesting. You could like I said, you could like we said, you could hear the author within Bella. But it's not pu- it's not pushy. It's not like It isn't pushy, but I'm if just If you saying get an abortion, there. you're a bad. Yes. Cuz I had I I talked to um my boyfriend Shane about your abortion comment just because he he was a childhood stan as well he went as one of the voltori members for halloween oh my god he's gonna kill me for mentioning not that the, not the main one right oh god <laughs> yeah who looks like a i don't even know what he looks like yeah him yes <laughs> um but it's not it's never pushy um and it, it is pretty like explained like she wants the baby because she this is like an un, you see this a lot in mothers like a lot of mothers would rather die than give up their baby, even if the baby puts them in danger. But Edward is more concerned about Bella. So that's why he's like, we have to abort the fetus because I am I have like my priorities are than your priority, which I'm sure is that's like very complicated for YA fiction. I think like, I think that relationship yeah. is really engaging it. Cause that's the conflict of the first half of breaking Dawn. There's no bad guy in breaking Dawn. That's the conflict pretty much until she's a vampire. So that has to like sustain a lot of text to be like a compelling internal conflict that like keeps propelling the drama. Yeah. And I also want to say I've read a lot of criticism of Twilight being anti-feminist, which I do not subscribe to. No, I don't agree with that. Because I think that goes back to like vilifying Christian values, which I'm not a christian i don't lord knows i do not uphold any christian values in my own life but her choosing to like pretty much want to be a housewife is not saying that like women who go out and do other more exciting things than bella are bad or like villain villains in any way yeah there is a distinction that has to be made between actually anti-feminist and having media. a boring having a boring protagonist and just like having a doormat of a protagonist yeah <laughs> like she doesn't do anything she all she does people... is like read she reads like wuthering heights and like she reads pride and prejudice and she's like i'm so different she she doesn't need to be like this large feminist like icon for it to pass in the eyes as like a feminist book like it it doesn't need to be feminist or anti-feminist. It is just a a sad excuse for a weak woman who yeah. can't do anything for herself. But that doesn't imply that every woman in the novel can't do anything for themselves. Yeah. Because you see instances that go against that. 
a lot of the vampire women in the stories are powerful. I mean, Victoria's plotline itself is a very good example of a woman with more agency. Yeah, and if Bella's whole thing is that she wants to live with Edward and like just like be a housewife and be a mom, I think that is some of the weakest Twilight discourse of saying it's anti-feminist because it just like is ignoring that some women want to be housewives. And I didn't even get the, at least from the movies, I did not get the sense that she wanted to be a housewife. Or like She wanted to be with Edward and yeah. then the baby came along and she wanted that after it happened. But I say housewife just because she doesn't have really any other aspiration. Like she, we meet her as a junior in high school. She already like doesn't show any particular interest. She's good at everything except for sports. Like she has already read all the books in English. She's like the science STEM queen. So she can like do anything but play badminton pretty much. And they need they needed to write her that in my opinion. So you didn't feel bad that she was losing her mortality. Mm-hmm. Because as the as that's the books, a really good point. As the books were going on, like especially that whole talk with what's the sister's name that talked to her about Rosalie. Rosalie, especially when Rosalie was talking about um, how she wished she was still living. I was like, why would Bella choose this? And it got to a point where I just had to realize Bella's cardboard, and it really doesn't affect her. She has no aspirations. She doesn't want to do anything. She can do everything she already wants to do. So for her, immortality is not bad because she gained something. She doesn't lose as much Mm -hmm. as she gains, which is Edward. Now, That's a good take. Now, the fact that it happened at such a young age, at 18, the fact that she had to give up her family, and the fact that it's just the age thing stands out as what if something happens? What if they get into a fight and they're not together and now she's a vampire because of him? Like, I don't think that's going to happen because this is idealized fantasy novel writing. But I couldn't help but feel nervous for her. So I think they did the best they could to make her have a one-track mind, which was Edward. And that's that's a romance thing. Like, I've gotten into romance this summer, particularly the Outlander franchise. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to someone, um, tangent, we were talking about Sanskrit drama, like ancient extant Sanskrit plays. And this is evident in Greek plays as well for a little theater history. Um, But there is no such thing as tragedy in these works because good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So if you have this beloved hero, um, I'm thinking like Odysseus, right? That's his name. I would always I would say Odysseus, but I'm no scholar. Either way, um, he's a good guy, and good things happen to him. His wife waits for him. He gets back his kingdom. I think, like, good things happen to him because if a bad thing happened to him, that sucks. You know, like there's karma. It's not a complex storyline yet. It is very simply good with good and bad with bad. Yeah, there's so, no subversion. So there that that karmic kind of flow of energy mm-hmm. still exists in romance novels. So I'm thinking about Outlander. There's, I think, seven books. And there wouldn't be seven books if Claire and Jamie didn't end up together at the end of every one. You know what I mean? Like, there are trials and tribulations, but they always end up together. And you can be worried, but you know that she can't write book eight if one of them is dead or one of them like loses interest. So I think the same thing applies to this example of like YA romance where you just have to believe that they belong together and divorce is like not an option because they're just so in love. Yeah. Now that introduces the topic of the love triangle Mm -hmm. and Edward and Bella have to end up together. What do they do with Jacob? They make him imprint and i'm glad we get to get to we i'm glad we're getting to this because when we mentioned it earlier if people don't know twilight um can you give me a quick explanation of imprinting for those who don't know just quick so imprinting is it's like your center of gravity changes i don't know the rest of the quote that is the quote (laughs) 
but basically it it's love at first sight but again it's in that really like hyper dramatic way of this person is my other half it's very like love potion-esque like first sight you're instantly like attached forever attached to them and there's a there's text in the book that sets up imprinting on a child that i think is not there in the film correct me if i'm wrong it is not yeah so it's only ever explained as a romantic thing which was what made it so weird yeah and it made it weirder that the movie acknowledged that in a whole scene that was extremely awkward okay let me backpedal and to anyone who hasn't watched twilight and is interested in listening to this podcast jacob the werewolf um imprints on bella's half vampire half human infant and i am talking about at the ripe old age of a few hours of birth like after birth imprints sees their whole life together which with a weird cgi face which is another thing to talk about and it's just and then it comes back in a later scene bella finds out he's imprinted on her and she like flips out and it's very awkward because everyone else is kind of on bella's side well i mean i could i could empathize that it's not his that what it's not your choice on who you get to imprint on and i could empathize that it wasn't his choice and that it was kind of more of a godfatherly void that they were trying to fill to to quell the concerns of how the love triangle would end up just such an odd way to get into that point yeah and it really sucks they cut out I think it's either Quill or Emery who imprints on a child, but there is text that says, like, look, I know this seems creepy, but also you have to remember that werewolves stop aging when they're werewolves, which is important, and I'll get back to that when it applies. And I don't know if that is in the film, but that is- It is is, not in the film, That is. I was curious about that. Yeah werewolf lore they become werewolves when there are vampires around so pin in that i do know that part with the no aging so jacob is like look i know she imprinted on a baby but it won't be romantic until she is of an age to consent so basically it's it's that thing that edward went through in midnight sun where it's like i have to protect this person and even like and since it's a romance novel we know that they are meant to be like that girl will love him as much as he loves her it won't be as animalistic it won't have like that same intensity but she will love him it just they are meant to be it is not one-sided so when they're younger than like 16 like age of consent range he's like a babysitter or like an older brother or like a friend, and it's strictly like <laughs> Stephanie Meyer is like it is not romantic. Doesn't make it any less weird. It's but not. But I will say it's, it's not, not inappropriate. It's it it she did, and everyone is like, it's not great. But then also he stops aging, pretty much to like catch up with the girl. So they like once, I think that the name is like Claire. Of, like, the little girl that one of the werewolves imprints on. I think it's Claire. Basically, she will be 16 and he will also be 16. So they will just, like, be able to live a happy life as consenting adults or, like, teenagers or whatever. And the same thing with Renesmee, the worst name in the whole franchise. Also, this internal, this eternal age teenager thing sounds like hell yeah i mean i'm sure any young adult reading it would be like oh to be 18 forever oh my god to be prepubescent forever that is terrifying that's the scariest that's the gag of it all that's the that's the spookiest forever (laughs) that's that's the spookiest most halloweenish like let's tie it back to the date here it's the spookiest aspect of this entire hormonal for the rest of your eternal life i wonder if that were is like are vampires that are 
stuck at that age they're eternally. they're emotionally stunted like they like oh God. and that's why that's why i never really thought about like the 119 whatever like however old edward is i think it's 119 that's why it never like stuck out to me as like this is inappropriate because that's also like really weak twilight um criticism is like anti-feminism and the age gap but he's emotionally the stunted. age gap of a hundred years yeah like he's emotionally stunted as a 17 year old which is why he is like quite childish and how he like all all the kids like all the cullen kids like do kind of they're played by older people but i think that they are all like weirdly emotionally stunted and like how they interact with people like Alice has no personal boundaries. Rosalie's like really mean but I do for love Alice. seven. I love Team Alice. Team Alice, that's what I am. But like Rosalie's like very catty for someone who's also like over a no. hundred. I thought she was, but I thought Rosalie was turned at like young twenties. No, she, I think she's like in the eighteen range. No way. There's no way because her backstory was all about her like about to marry someone. Yeah, that happened in the. 20s or 30s yeah but i just i just feel like her backstory okay uh second to find out how old rosalie is i'm putting money on like in the 18 range i think like 25 ish she definitely isn't 25 maybe like 23 because carlisle's like 25 how old is she 18 folks that is one in the can for me well first of all i don't feel that offended that the twilight stan is more knowledgeable than me, but that's still crazy. It, they made her, they painted her much older. Well, yeah, and everyone was like in their twenties playing them. But I think that um, whether or not that was like in accordance with the lore, or like maybe it was just poor writing of teenagers, like I think that that is exemplified mm-hmm. in how like just strange they all act for being alive for so long. Like they are emotionally stunted as like a seventeen-year-old who died in nineteen eighteen, or an eighteen-year-old who died in like the thirties. Yeah, I just can't imagine a young adult romance. I guess they paint the relationship in a way that's like you can root for the relationship. But if you were to put yourself in Bella's shoes, both men I would run so far from. They are so toxic. You're talking to someone who like loves the uh, antagonist of the Netflix show You. Oh. Like uh, when you have issues with men to the extent that I do... um. It's quite delicious. But this <laughs> It's quite tasty. This is, this is not this is young adult romance. This is not under the Barnes and Noble emotionally stunted section. Well not under the Barnes and Noble maybe should see a therapist for a section. <laughs> and I think that and I, I do want to talk about like the misogyny that came along with Twilight. Yeah, let's get into that. Um I mean I having been a stan for the past, you know, 12, 13 years, who cut her hair like Alice and, like, would wear a Twilight messenger bag to school, you know, faced some ridicule as a young girl. Mm-hmm. And there's a really great YouTube video um, by Lindsay Ellis called Dear Stephanie Meyer that kind of goes into, like, what it's like to be a quirky girl in 2008 who, like, hates Twilight and hates justin bieber and hates one direction because what young girls like is bad and stupid Mm -hmm. that's that's the narrative that's the cultural narrative is that like thing for girl is bad i agree with that and i think that's where anti-feminism comes in yeah like and this might be a hot take but there is a cultural burden on women creators to create impeccable works when men can make the most like average thing and it doesn't get the ridicule for like not showing like the most healthy relationship. Like Stephanie Meyer could have like the gag could have been that she was like, and this relationship is kind of boring. Like nowhere is it like this is a relationship that you should exemplify. Yeah. It's not like this is the most perfect relationship. It's perfect for them. Like, relationships are rocky and it's tricky. So giving this, like, emotionally dense book to young girls and being like, what do you think? Maybe you're into it. I don't know. Maybe you need someone to, like, protect you. Because that's, like, the gag. Is that she just is constantly protected. And that's really reassuring. Being, like, a young girl. I get that, yeah. Is So did Stephanie Meyer write a perfect book? No. Did she have to? 
No. People read it anyway. And the reason that Twilight is so, I think the, it's it created a counterculture only because such a strong culture was present in the first place. Like, things aren't ridiculed if not enough people like them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not, you, more often than not, the more popular something is, the more likely it is that there's a counterculture and there's a hatred for it. So I will say that the reason that Twilight is such a fun thing to talk about is because it was such a cult classic. You can now dissect it and be like, what does this mean? And it's really interesting. It's almost like, what work do you put out there? And that you won't realize will have such an impact. And let's talk about let's talk about Stephanie Meyer for a second. Let's talk about Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, God, we need to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey. So now can you explain why we're going into this? We're talking about this because you have people, you have you have writers like Joe, like JKR, who Let's not talk about JKR. Who retcons <laughs> like that wizards would shit in the street and then like poof it away on Twitter. Like or like I'm not gonna get into Riverdale. But you have art you have writers who just are like really willy nilly with the lore and how people treat their work yeah jkr is like so involved in everything to its detriment because she's you know been in it since like what like 96 or in the 90s Mm -hmm. so she's way too close to her work and it's to a detriment it's so weird to think that social media has given the opportunity for these people to just be like oh this is let me fully flesh out the story outside of the space of the novel that is so weird. And it is or weird. Or when she was like, uh, Dumbledore's gay, but like didn't put it in because, you know, whatever. But I bring up I bring up JKR as a foil to Stephanie Meyer because Stephanie Meyer potentially saved the legality of fan fiction. Are you familiar are you are you familiar with like the story behind Fifty Shades? I believe what I know is that Fifty Shades of Grey started as a Twilight fanfic. It started off as Master of the Universe by E.L. James. And it was like this huge phenomenon online. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it went to print. Like I think one of the first fan fictions, one of the first major fan fictions that also was a blockbuster success. And all they did was, again, control F search Bella and Edward and switch out the names. Like, it is very clearly, I mean, talk about Bella with a personality, at least um, whatever the main <laughs> woman in Fifty Shades, she, like, wants to be an editor. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I have watched so many videos dissecting these movies. But to bring it back to Steph, she never litigated. And she ha- fully had legal right to, because that is a total infringement on her intellectual property. It was a work fully based on her original work, and she never sued. And by doing so, it was a very unselfish move that kept her in good graces online and potentially saved the legality of fan fiction based off of works of text. Yeah. And I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey, although a a choice of a film, um, a choice of films, multiple, it ended up, it did diverge far enough to become its own thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that... Um, I can, you can separate the two if you didn't know that they were connected. Yeah. And it's a totally different demographic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's great. And I do think that at the end of the day, not only is the author of Twilight not that bad, but the books themselves were fine. They were good. No one They're holds... fine. And they're not emotionally, like they're very emotionally complicated, mm-hmm. but it's so pure like, I, when I was rereading them over the summer, I got why I was able to be nine, you know, like, totally, like, way younger than the target demographic, but still get the gist of it. Because it wasn't, like, sexually complicated. Like, I, it didn't have to take me there mm-hmm. to get to the point of, like, there are these two men, which one's better for this girl that I'm supposed to be empathizing for and, like, living her life through her shoes, and there is like moral complexity. It's it's a very it's a very delicious franchise to lose yourself in. Would you say that Twilight captured the time it was released or like the cult the the pop culture of the time? Or do you think that Twilight created the pop culture of the time? 
I think Twilight, and I'm not really well versed on like the history of 2008, but I think that's around when like Justin Bieber was kind of mm. like in my head in this time of like being a young girl and society hating my interests. It was like High School Musical, Twilight, Justin Bieber, and One Direction kind of like exist and high school musical less so but that was more of like an internal thing of like kids thought the high school musical was bad because it was like a musical for girls because it had zach efron but i think they all kind of happened in the same time frame which gave a lot of ammo because it was like justin bieber sounds like a girl because he's like 12 like obviously he has a higher pitched voice and like one direction music is bad why would you even like that when it's so like that's such weak ammo just because you don't like it you're immediately putting it down even though a lot of girls and a lot of a lot of kids just genuinely enjoyed it yeah in a a really really pure way i will not say that it was not trash but i will say that it was equally trash on the men's side like the men like the young young adults on the male side like their pop culture also trash yeah I was still watching Thomas the Tank Engine, so I still had the culture. I still had the eruditicness, the eruditic quality of my sure. tastes. Well, 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 this is 2008, right? <laughs> yeah. I totally was watching Thomas the Tank Engine. Great. But talk about a story. Talk about a deep character, a sense of character. <laughs> okay. And then, like, let's look at the YA that came after this. And I think this is... All, all div- even if they were different, they were and divergent it's Hunger Games. Book. Yes. And it's, it's like, not, the first book, nothing happens until, like, page, like, 400. Mm -hmm. The first 400 pages of the book are just, like, does he like me? I like him. He might like me. He's kind of weird about it, though. Oh, he's a vampire? That's kind of hot. Like, that's 400 pages of the book. And that's what the movies are. The movies are so romantic. Even if they don't have chemistry, it's supposed to be romantic. But then you get into the other YA franchises that came after this, which is Divergent Uh and Hunger Games, which is way more action-oriented. And I think that was in retaliation to how much Twilight and the Twilight fans suffered for it being, like, a girly thing. Yeah. That's true. And it was only girly because it was the relationship... Was the main focus. Was the main focus. And all the fights happened because of the relationship. But it is incredible that she was about, she was able to take, she was able to make a zeitgeist out of a story that didn't take any apocalyptic circumstance, which is what everything else built off of in the future. She literally, Bella literally has like a dial up modem. Like they're, like it's the most mundane life that she leads. Like it is just high school. It is not, I mean, it's alternate universe in that there are vampires and werewolves. But besides that, it's like a totally typical town. It's 2005. It's, she doesn't even have a cell phone. But then you go into these other franchises that are way more action-based. The relationships are like so peripheral to the actual danger. Whereas Twilight, they're so, you're so invested because everything bad that's happening is because Bella and Edward won't break up. And would you say that was more comforting, how mundane it was as a kid? Not feeling like you had to live some sort of magical post-apocalyptic life to have any sense of adrenaline in you? in you, Or would you say that that didn't really make a difference? I mean, I think I find it comforting now. Mm-hmm. Because it's just so, like, Bella could be literally anyone. If that's your standard for, like, love interest, you know, I read, I read books. Bella reads books. Why didn't Edward choose me? He could have. That's, I guess, that's what makes it enticing. Yeah, like, I'm at least as interesting as Bella Swan. Like, at bare minimum. At least. You're most likely, if you're listening to this, you are most likely more interesting than Bella Swan. So I think, I, I think... Yeah, there there's escapism, but it's also like so close to home that you can really swap yourself in to her shoes so much easier than like putting yourself in a Katniss's shoes. Their magical post marriage house was a cottage in the middle of the woods. That's good escapism. I don't want to think about the hunger. I don't want to think about would like sacrifice myself for my sister. True for the Hunger Games. I don't want to think about like what faction I would choose in Divergent. Yes, I just want to think of like. 
would Robert Pattinson pick me out of a lineup? Maybe. I think so. Thanks. If that means anything to you. <laughs> Thank you, Harrison. Before we... We're going to wrap this up quickly. I just want to ask one question before my final one. Would you say... Do you know the origins of why she chose to wrote, write this? I know she had a dream. I think she... Oh, very Wizard of Oz. Yeah, she had like a dream about the um the meadow scene. She like woke up and she just like saw these like two young people laying in a meadow and like one was sparkling. Correct me if I'm wrong, stands, but I think I know it started with a dream. And I think it was the meadow scene and then she just wrote it from there. And she just tied sparkling to vampire, mm-hmm. which I think is really smart. That's very smart. It was a great subversion of the vampire trope too. Wow interesting i mean sexy i i I guess it's also around the time that halloween became about being that it just became like a more sexy thing well i think halloween has become sexy you heard it here first folks wow hot take (laughs) cultural cultural sociologist harrison (laughs) i just think i just it's become like that was around the time that you started seeing like Maybe I was just too young to see out, see it beforehand. Well, but that's, like, that's the age. Yeah, that's this. the age. Like 13 is where you started to be like sexy Mad Hatter from Party City. Yeah. And then like Mean Girls even. Mean Girls was earlier though, but not by too far. It was still 2000s, right? Where Mean Girls did like time. the whole slutty Halloween is like the new in thing. But like it, it's in Legally Blonde. It's in Legally Blonde too. I think you just reach an age. You reach an age, but I mean, it was also just a product of the 90s and 2000s. Mm-hmm. I don't think that happened in the 80s. Again, I'm no scientist. Sociolog- <laughs> this is where you go to hear people talk about things they don't know about. You heard it here first, folks. This is pure extrapolation. <laughs> uh, but you are right in, in terms of they captured that at the right moment where people started thinking about that. Halloween became less about going to get candy monsters became less of like some twilight thing that your dad watched like your twilight zone episode your dad watched at 12 a.m in the morning as you cried and from there, hearing the scary sounds in your bedroom there are and that sexy is not tied vampires to a personal there are sexy vampires throughout history but this just brought it down for kids or like young young teens i guess dracula was yeah you're right I'm i thinking... do know enough that dracula was were in as like a more like a stoic a more attractive I'm thinking um, Interview with a Vampire. I think that's like a sexy vampire for adults. <laughs> <laughs> but this did, it made horror, not horror, but like horror-esque fantasy accessible for teens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see if we'll cut out five minutes of me spewing <laughs> actu- absolute speculation. We'll see if that About gets past Halloween. post. <laughs> I like to ask one final question, which is, if you had to interview yourself, if you were in my shoes and you were interviewing yourself, what would you have asked yourself that I haven't yet? And then go ahead and just answer that. Or was I too good? And did I cover everything? I I think my first question would be like, why Twilight? Like, why Twilight now? That's so true. Well, yeah. Like, why is it going through the Renaissance now? Do you think there's a Renaissance for Twilight? I'm not on TikTok, but... My dear friend Rachel Ackerman sends me Twilight TikTok. She'll send me like four a day. And they're all tagged hashtag Twilight Renaissance. Like there is a cultural reckoning of Twilight coming out of the closet. Well, I didn't know that that TikTok sound that went do, 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 do. Bella's Lullaby? I didn't know that that was Bella. Like that was a song in the movie. I laughed so hard when I heard it for the first time. It's it's been, Twilight has been in, it's been cooking with gas since like March. (laughs) Since... Since the girls and the gays haven't had anything to do, and it's been on Amazon Prime and then Hulu, mm. and like Libby, you know, thanks to our sponsor Libby for today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been listening to the Twilight books on repeat. Midnight Sun just came out, so when? in mid-August. Oh, wow! Yeah, twelve years after the fir- at least twelve years since the first movie. I think Twilight came out two thousand five, so fifteen years after the first book do you do you want to know this story of midnight sun real real quick go ahead in 2008 i believe midnight sun the first couple chapters got leaked on stephanie meyer's website and then she like i guess put it away for a while and she just released them so there's been a lot of content and like robert pattinson is so hot and so crazy Mm -hmm. that he's been like i think every team edward girl has just been reliving 
Twilight, every Robert Pattinson film we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just really comforting and it's just entertaining and it's romantic. And it's the second through fifth movies are like entertaining long films to watch and they're pretty brainless. You can just put them on, like watch it. You know what's going to happen. Romance is really comforting. So you think that's the reason for the Renaissance? I think so. And everyone's just turned into gay icons. Like the whole film is full of gay icons now. So what are you talking about? There's a big thing of like Bella Alice shipping on TikTok, but it's just, it's just pure and wholesome and sexy and entertaining. And it, it's full of like comforting nostalgia. I do get the nostalgia aspect. It is a very nice little microcosm of our lives. Yeah. That was, that was problematic, but we don't, we, you never remember the problem parts. Mm -hmm. It's very, um, it's very rose colored glasses of us. Totally. I think that about wraps it up. Yeah. It was lovely talking about this. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to talk about this. I mean, with Penelope, she can just talk about anything and I'll be mesmerized. And also Halloween is coming up, so I thought it'd be a perfect time to maybe... Little spooky ooky. It's a little spooky ooky diatribe into the little more pop culture-y, less fancy topics. And you did fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So... Where can we find you? Social medias. Let's plug yourself now. Uh, um, Punk Rock Pell on Instagram and Twitter, but I don't use them, so don't expect content. And I don't, I don't get dopamine from social media, so you can take a little sneak peek at my life, but it's not very exciting. Okay, so your address, so they could find you. Yeah, you can go to my LinkedIn <laughs> and my Pinterest. On that note, we're about to rewatch all five films in a row. <laughs> it's gonna be our little joyous. Our joyous meeting of the minds. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Harrison. See you soon. Goodbye, everybody. Enjoy your Halloween. (laughs) 